0: Welcome to River Edge Podcasts. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Thank you, church. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're my family. Thanks. Have a seat in the lounge room. I was um, talking about this morning. Um, earlier in the week with one of my friends and I was like, I wish that I could just, we could all just sit around, you know, on the ground and we could just chat about this, but it'd probably go forever. Um, I feel like the conversation wouldn't stop, especially my dad in the room. <laughs> but I just love that. I love, um, I love that Callum's talked about family this morning. I love that dad's talked about family and we've talked about Jesus. I feel like Callum essentially... Preached my message in a na- much nicer, more succinct way. So <laughs> succinct. So if um, if you zone out now, it's fine. You've already gotten the content. It's all good. Calm's done it. He's given you the main points. But if you want to stay with me, there's a little bit more unfolding that we'll do this morning. Um, but surprise, surprise! My nan asked me what I'd be speaking about today, and I said Christmas, and she's like, "Oh, that's a good idea." Uh, <laughs> So she's, she's great. She's an encouragement. Um, but I want to talk about one of the names of Jesus that is given to us in the Bible, which is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I think that um, that alone, those three words should just move us this morning in such a way where we are so grateful for what God's done for us, that he chose to come. Because um, I was thinking about this God with us statement and how profound it is. And the fact that In the Old Testament, they learn about God, that he was around them. They learned that God was for them and over them. But it isn't until Jesus came that it was proclaimed that God was with us, and so God transformed from being this uh, cosmic force or this this powerful force to a baby and someone in flesh, um, and the Word became flesh. And it's it's almost this backwards shift from God being this massive, great thing, and then He chooses to come in this tiny, weak vessel. And I think if any of us were God, we'd pick a different way. We'd pick that, um, you know, I come in, in blazing glory with the whole, the whole sky a fire, you know, and say, I have come. <laughs> it is me, God. Um, but, but God chose to do it a different way. So I just want to, I want us to t- talk about that this morning, to dwell on that, to unfold that um, so that Christmas has an, a new meaning to us because there's a lot of us that have done many, many Christmases in our life, but I want it to have a fresh meaning. So this morning, my heart is that we will just get a new reverent awe for our God, that we'll understand His sovereignty, that we'll understand the power of Him coming to earth in a new way. So let's look anew, because... Um, I was thinking about how we have a Christmas circumstance when we think about Christmas. We all have an experience that we'll dwell on from past years and it in, usually involves food, presents and family that, and not getting a car park. So those, that's, the, that's the usual Christmas experience. But then separate from that, we have the Christmas truth, which is this story And so it's important for us at this time of year, come December, that that we don't allow the Christmas circumstance to be the only thing that we think about, but allow the Christmas truth to reign over it and to be infused with it, um, to enhance and... and, um, what's the word, improve our Christmas circumstance. Allow the Christmas truth to seep into what your December 25th looks like, the truth of Jesus. And so it says in Isaiah 7, and this is a prophecy about Jesus, one of the ones that dad was talking about, said, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when we look at the word Emmanuel or the name Emmanuel, it, we can break it up into two parts, Emmanuel and El. Emmanuel just means with us and El means God. So the very essence of the word made up means God with us. It's a, it's a sentence in a name. But that, that, small, um, that small, just pass by comment, the virgin will conceive I think we all know the depth of what that means and how ridiculous it sounds because it just shows that God will do whatever he wants. (laughs) God doesn't care what the rules are. Often, I don't know if you've experienced this in your life, where you're like, all right, God, this is how it looks. This is how the world works. So I need you to move within that and make a miracle happen. And he says, no and no. (laughs) I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to go above and beyond. Um, I'm going to break all of the rules. And in this instance, a virgin is going to conceive nonsensical, radical God nonsense. But God ability, God power And so the birth of Jesus shows that no matter what life looks like, God's going to do what he wants. And it's just important for us to recognize that we've never had a better idea than God. (laughs) Never in my whole life have my thoughts been better than the thoughts of God. And never has my solution been better than God's solution. And it's true for all of humanity. We've tried saving ourselves. We've tried fixing our own lives. We've tried being good people and thinking that it's enough. But God said, I can do you one better. I can do you a whole heap better. I'm going to send someone that will be your reconciliation, that will be your salvation, that will bring um, cleanliness to your life. You'll be made pure again. And so you don't have to save yourself anymore. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it through my son. And so the story of Jesus shows us that God's going to do what he wants and it shows us that God enjoys growing things. Because He sent us a baby. He sent us a, a small child. And I think um, that shows how much God honors family at Christmas time. And I think it's no mistake that family, um, family tension and uh, a lot of pain comes up at Christmas time is because God was brought into a family. And and God showed that family mattered to him at this time of year, especially. And so we have um, this beautiful picture of, of what family looks like. And it's, it's this time of, of total family disruptness, disjointedness at Christmas time, right? So it, it just shows that what God intended and what God brought to us, this beautiful gift of family, this beautiful gift of a baby, um, the world is, is in total disarray about. At Christmas time, which shows that God wants to reconcile that, and God wants to bring peace, and He wants to bring uh, joy to that again. He wants to bring joy to our family again. So let that be your prayer. I I urge you. If family is a tough thing at Christmas time, I just I just present to you that you have the opportunity to pray into that situation. You have the opportunity to speak life into that situation. And where you can't change people's minds or their motives, you can pray that God will. And He has the ability to do that because where we can't save ourselves and where we can't save our own family, God will. And we just have the opportunity and the beautiful um, the beautiful responsibility and honor to be able to pray for our families at this time of year, which is great. I have such a good family, but we have we are not without our, our tiffs. <laughs> so, you know, that there are things that go on in our family that we pray into as well. So there's no one that's exempt from this. No one's perfect. No family is without its tension. And so let's, let's not complain about it. Let's use those exact same words, those exact same breaths to pray into the situation. So God enjoys growing things. And I think it's incredible that he sent Jesus. He sent a baby And it just proved that, oh, dang, it's not going to be an immediate thing. It's not going to be this immediate salvation. This thing's going to have to grow. It has to learn how to walk. It has to learn how to talk. So it takes some assembly. It takes some discipline. It takes some patience and it takes some trust to wait for the Savior to come in this instance. And I enjoy it because it shows me that God is saying to us, no, don't let time rule you. Don't be rushed. <laughs> don't try and don't let time rule you. Because I think that time is a commodity to us, just like money is. We say that time is money. It's a it's a common statement in our society. And so if we feel like someone has wasted our time, we feel robbed. Just like if someone took a 20 out of our wallet. If someone wastes our time, we're like, can't get that back, can I? So So when we feel like God wastes our time, we feel like He's done a massive disservice to us. But it's important for us in times of waiting, in times of things growing, that we trust, that we're patient and we say, well, obviously, this is the best way for it to happen. If this is what God says, because my idea has never been better than God's idea. His idea, His way right now, in this very moment, in this very Christmas circumstance in this very situation, God's got a better way. I hope that as I say these words, you're thinking of situations where you can apply it, because that's the practicality of the Word of God, is that He gives us truth, so that it doesn't just remain truth and isolated from our lives, but He gives us tools, and His Word is a tool to us. His Word is a weapon to us, like we've been talking about and so we've got the life of Jesus to give us an example and to give us truth and to give us power to outlive in our own lives. Let it not be an isolated thing from our own lives. Let them intertwine. Let, them, let it empower your, your daily life. Let it empower your Monday tomorrow. And I just love that um, we celebrate Christmas it, at, in December. And then three months later, we're crucifying him, right? So we're, we're in this constant balance and this constant to and fro of Jesus is a baby. Now Jesus is 30. And and what's going on? And and then there's nine months where we're like, oh, I wonder what Jesus is doing. And then we're like, that's right. He's a baby again. And so, but it's, it's funny because we, we don't celebrate him just as a baby. We celebrate him for everything that he's done. Um, we celebrate him. It, it's intertwined. It's not these separate, separate events in Jesus's life. He came and he was the Savior. He came and he was God with us. And just how beautiful it is. On this Emmanuel, I found this quote in a reading that I was doing by a guy, John Charles Ryle. He's a, an Anglican bishop and English evangelical. And he wrote that Emmanuel promises to be with us daily to pardon and to forgive, with us daily to sanctify and strengthen, with us daily to defend and keep, with us daily to lead and to guide, with us in sorrow and with us in joy, with us in sickness and with us in health, with us in life and with us in death, with us in time and with us in eternity. And so he isn't just with us when we've got it together. He isn't just with us when we're obedient. He isn't just with us when life is going good and we're obeying all the rules and we're doing everything right and we're being kind and there's fruit in our life. He's with us in the depths. He's with us in the bad times. He's with us in the pit. He, he isn't a God that, that chooses when it's convenient to be with us. He's committed. He's committed. He's in this with us. He's committed to all of life's ups and downs because he knows what humanity is like. And I think often we will um, we'll just get down on ourselves because we failed God again. But we have to understand that God made us human. He made us. So he understands us. It says in, in the Bible, it says that he knows their hearts because he made them. And so he knows that we're capable of sin and he knows that we're capable of hurt and he knows that we're capable of doing damage. But he created us in this way and so he wants to empower our humanity. He wants to make us the best versions of ourselves and he understands 100% completely to um, just the whole entirety of humanity, how hard it is. It says, I'm going to jump ahead, um, but it says in Hebrews... Four. This is my last slide, Darcy. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weakness and temptation, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. Therefore, let us with privilege approach the thro- throne of grace. That is the throne of God's gracious favor. Let us approach us with with confidence and without fear so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in time of need, an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. So he isn't without um, understanding for our humanity. He knows exactly how it is. And I can imagine what it's like to be a parent in this one instance. There's lots of ways of being a parent that I don't understand because I don't have kids but um, I look after a boy uh, one day a week at this little toddler and he is just hilarious and I often take him to uh, Nash Lane and he will just dance and he will have a lot of fun and it's, it's just like his living room, he enjoys it so much. But, um, and he's, he's well behaved, he's really good, he's really good for me. But I understand that there's some times in life, and my parents have experienced this, where your children do things that make you ashamed and your children do things that make you want to leave them there on the floor in Target and just be like, who do they belong to? <laughs> I was never such a child, but I knew a few in my family. <laughs> Dad says all he had to do was look at me and I'd cry. And it's true, he still has that effect on me. If I feel that I've, if I feel that I've done a disservice to my family and brought dishonor on my family, deepest regret and shame <laughs> fill my bones. <laughs> But there are some more rigorous, audacious individuals in my family that enjoy testing the boundaries, and I honour them for that because I learn from them. But um, <laughs> but there are things, that, there are things that kids do sometimes that make their parents ashamed and make their parents uh, not want the association anymore. Like, oh, I'm so proud of that tantrum is never a word that comes out of a parent's mouth. But the thing is with God, the perfect father, is he watches us have a tantrum on the floor of earth and says, I need to be there, I need to run to them, I need to go to them, I need to send someone, I need to send my son to show, them, to show them how to live, and he doesn't, there's no disassociation, there's no shame when it comes to God, he wants to be associated with us, he wants to put his name across our hearts and say, they're mine they belong to me. And so all of humanity was a wreck and we still are, but God says they're mine. Hey, they're mine. I'm so proud of them. I love them so much to the very depths of their, of their sin and the very depths of their lack of discipline. I love them and I want to restore them to myself. And so I think that that's just incredible that God chose, hey, I want to be with them they're messing up and they've got it all wrong, but I need to go and I need to be with them. I need to run to them, which is just beautiful. So I want to talk about um, the human response that happened when Jesus came. And so we find this in Matthew 2. I think a lot of us know the story of of Mary being told by an angel that she's going to conceive um, and she says, let it be done, let it come this way. What you've said, let it be true. And then Joseph has to come to terms with the truth. Another angel comes to him in a dream and says, hey, it's okay, man. Like, it's going to be fine. She hasn't done anything wrong. God has done this. And so a whole census happens, and then God sends angels to, to meet with humans. He meets with, um, they meet with some shepherds in a field, and then they meet with, oh, they don't actually meet with the wise men. So this is what happens in Matthew 2. 10 to 11, talking about some wise men that had been studying the stars. They were very wise. Said, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so these wise men had been waiting and longing for the Messiah to come. They knew that it was going to happen. And so they'd been studying the stars to see when it would come to be. And I can imagine what it was like as they're lining up all of their studies and they're lining up and they're looking, and I'm sure they had fun little tools or something, who knows. Um, And they're looking and one of them is like, hang on. And they're reading it and they're like, what's going on here? And, you know, they like tap one of their buds and they're like, can you... Does this make sense to you? And they're just slowly, the the shock and the awe is coming over them. And they're like, hold on, hold on. I think it's happening. I think he's come. And so they see this star. They see this sign that's talked about in Isaiah. And they're overjoyed. Nothing but joy fills them. And they say, we have to go. We have to go and we have to follow. And so they see the sign and they go and they do something about it. And then they come and they find him. And they pour out these gifts. And it's easy for us to pass by these gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. But I want to talk a little bit this morning about what these actually signify. Because I know what it's like when someone asks you, oh, why was it gold, frankincense and myrrh? And you're like, oh... Because they were nice things at the time. <laughs> I don't know. But, but I think it's important for us to know the truth. And there's actually this profound um, significance for all of these three things. So, would you like to know what they are? Just in case you don't know. So, first of all, we have gold. And this one's pretty much a given. Most of the Google searches um, just say, what is frankincense and myrrh? Like, everyone knows what gold is. People are like, what about the other two? I don't understand. So, gold is a given... Um, but the important distinction to make here and the important thing to identify is you don't really give gold to a baby. You don't really give any of these gifts to a baby. You give, the, you give these things to someone of great stature and you give them to someone of um, great importance. You don't often give these things to a baby. But these wise men get, brought gifts of faith because they identified and saw what God had given to earth. And so it says in, um, in 1 Kings 6, Solomon builds a a temple for God's presence and it's laid with gold, like gold glory just everywhere. Everything's covered in gold, gold. everything's dipped in it, everything's got a sprinkling of gold, it's just gold, gold, gold because it honours and signif- um, signifies the presence of God and so by giving this gift of gold to this baby that was Jesus, the, the wise men or the kings were saying this is the presence of God. This is now the presence of God. This is a temple of God's presence, which is just astounding, which is beautiful. Um, But I'd love to to keep moving on. Frankincense was the second gift. And frankincense, if anyone is into essential oils in any way, we know that it costs a buck to buy a little bottle is over $100. And at this time, um, in Jesus' time, frankincense was actually worth more than its weight in gold. I don't know if that's still the same today, but it was worth a lot. Um, And it's because it takes so much effort to get out of the tree. So it comes from this boswellia tree. And what they do is they cut it with a knife. But the thing is, the sap, when it Um, when it oozes out, that first sap is not actually the sap that they want. So they want a different sap. And so the the real sap, the refined sap, is actually, it comes through deeper cuts that happen in the tree. And so they have to do these initial ones, wait, and then come back and and further carve at the tree to get this refined um, liquid that pours out. And Frankincense has all of these incredible healing qualities. I'm not here to give you an essential oils party spiel about, about what frankincense can do. I'm not here to tell you, you know, anything. I'm about to give you a quote by an immunologist. I'm not here to to give you, like, I'm not a doctor, okay? I'm not a doctor, and so what I say, I'm just regurgitating what what people have said, but I want it to resemble Jesus. I hope that that's that's what I achieve this morning. But the thing is, um, frankincense was burned as an incense in the Old Testament. For any of you that understand that, you know, sacrifices were given in the Old Testament to to bring reconciliation for everyone's sins, to cover sins, so that God, uh, so we'd be blameless in the sight of God. So frankincense was used as one of these incenses, incense burnings, um, to, to give a pleasing aroma. And so by giving frankincense to Jesus, it foreshadowed that he would be the incense. He would be the sacrifice. He would be the one that would atone for our sins. Um, so it has this Old Testament and now New Testament significance. And so this immunologist, Mahmud Sual, Sa- I should have called him up, asked him how to pronounce his name. He said... That uh, And this is about cancer, okay? So, like I said, I'm not a doctor. This isn't, this isn't me saying this is the truth and you better believe it. But this is just what he says in his studies, what he's found, that cancer starts in the body when DNA code within the cell's nucleus becomes corrupted. Something is disjointed. Something isn't right. But it seems in studies done of frankincense that it has a reset function or a reset ability it can tell the cell what the right DNA code should be. So with our scientific findings, we can apply this to what Jesus does for us, for humanity. He finds what's wrong and he has this reset ability to say, hey, this is out. (laughs) Hey, this isn't right, but I can heal it. And I can come and I can restore it to how it's meant to be, which is just beautiful. And I thought it was cool the fact that frankincense is only achieved by cutting and achieved by the continual cutting I think that that's a a really incredible you know they were giving this to a baby but we knew what was coming for Jesus the lashings and the whippings and so it's this this beautiful refining that comes only through repeated injury on this tree just like Jesus was repeatedly injured for our sins and what flowed out of him was the refining thing in our lives. And so it says in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so everything that The significance of this tree being crushed, this this tree being cut open, so that this healing, uh, refined liquid can pour out. The same goes for us. Everything that he endured was so that we could benefit. Everything that was cast on him, he didn't deserve an ounce of it. It says in, in Isaiah 53 in that prophecy that we thought that God was punishing him. You know, all the people around were saying he brought this on himself. But that, little did they know that it was, it was for them. It was for the onlookers. It was for those that would come. It was for those that had been, that he was being crushed. And it was no punishment on him. It was all on us. But he was the one that decided to take it on himself. And lastly, myrrh. So myrrh is um, a resin that's taken from a small thorny tree. It was also used throughout history um, and in the Old Testament as a perfume. It was used as an embalming oil for, for dead bodies. And it was also used as a medicine to ease pain. And it was actually offered to Jesus when he was on the cross. They offered him that bitter drink, which was wine mixed with myrrh, because it would ease his pain. But he denied it because he, he was like, no, I, do, I don't need to. I'm going to feel the depth of this. I'm going to do this you know, I, I don't need any ease. And so we look at all of these gifts and what stood out to me is that these gifts were brought, they were brought to the king in worship. They, they didn't know that he was going to die for their sins. And so before they knew that he would be a sacrifice that would be made, before they recognized, and before they said, you know, the sinner's prayer, they came and they brought a gift of worship to the king. And I was really challenged because I know often my worship looks like thanking God for what he's done in my life. Yet they were worshipping God for who he was. They were worshipping God because they said, God has come to earth and we must do something about it. They didn't bring these extravagant gifts because they thought they could pay their way to heaven. They didn't bring them because they thought that it would earn them favor in God's sight. They bought them because nothing but joy flowed out of them and they only had worship to bring. And so this morning, I want to ask, why do I bring worship? What is my worship? What gifts do I bring to Jesus? Have I just bought gifts for my family this year or do I have something to offer God? Do I have something to bring to God to say thank you? Do I have something to bring to God to thank him for all he's done in my life? Do I have something to bring to him just because he's sovereign father, he is king of kings, lord of lords, and whether he saved me or not, he deserves my praise? And I want to ask, is there something that you're waiting for before you worship? Is there something, is there, are you looking for a reason? Are you, are you waiting to say, well, it just hasn't come yet, and so I'm withholding? What's good enough? What's a good enough reason for us to worship him? Isn't it because he is who he says he is? Isn't it because he is Elohim? He is he is God of all. He is our morning star. He is our our joy in mourning. And I just think that it's incredible that that they had something to bring before before he'd done anything for them. He was a baby. He was a helpless child. He was completely dependent dependent on his parents. Am I waiting for a good enough reason to worship him? And I don't want there to be anything in my life where I say, God, if only you'd do this, then. Then I would have something to bring. Then I would pour out. Then I would give you glory. I want my glory to come. I want my praise to come far before I see any proof. Because uh, there's, a, there's an important thing that I've, I've learned, and I want it to keep undoing me for the rest of my life. I want these um, this realization to continually just undo me is that there, I've recognized that there's, there's three kinds of worship that we can bring, and I've touched on it, but we can worship and we can pray because we need something from God. We can worship and we can pray because God has done something and we're grateful, and there is worship and prayer that we can bring because we believe in Him, and He hasn't done anything for us to, to say, well, you deserve this now, God but he, we recognize and we honor who he is. It says in Ephesians 2, in the Passion Translation, yet look at you now, everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, now you've been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ, God with us. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. So today as I finish, I just want to celebrate the fact that God has chosen to do things this way. He says, I am your peace. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you peace. He says, I am your peace. God has beautifully and purposely intertwined himself with all of his gifts so that we can't enjoy them without first enjoying him. To enjoy God's gifts without enjoying God is only half the picture, or much less. To enjoy His blessings without enjoying Him first, we're not getting the fullness of them. So to enjoy joy, to enjoy peace, to enjoy goodness, to enjoy the the plentifulness of our earth without enjoying God first, we're missing out. It says in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and the rest will be given unto you. So I want this morning, I want the rest of our time at Christmas to be about seeking God first and letting the rest come, letting His reconciliation come after we've sought Him, after we've praised Him, after we've brought our gift of thanks to Him, after bringing our gifts of, of reverent awe to Him for recognizing that He's sovereign God, that He reigns over all, that He will redeem us, that He has brought Himself to earth And the beautiful thing is God was over us, God was for us, God was with us, and now God is in us. He's given us Holy Spirit so that we are not without His presence ever, not for a moment. I know it's simple this morning, but He's truly blessed us with such a gift of His presence. So would you stand with me this morning as as we pray and we just ask God for a freshness in our worship, a freshness in what we're able to give to Him. And if you want to agree with me, I don't know how you want to do it. You can say yes, you can say amen, you can lift your hands, however you feel like you want to posture yourself before God in this moment. Do what you need to do. And we're just going to trust that God's going to give us fresh revelation on this. God, we thank you so, so much for who you are. We thank you that you came and you changed all of humanity for for all of time by sending yourself, by putting on flesh so that you could touch us, God, so that you can make yourself accessible to us in a brand new way. I thank you, God, that your ideas are always better than our ideas. So this morning we come to you and we humble ourselves in your presence, God. Remove all pride from us that says that I know a better way or I want to manipulate the way that God moves in this situation, God. And we give you permission to move how you want to move. I pray, God, that we'd look at you with new eyes. I pray that we'd understand what you've done for us, God, by sending Jesus. And God, I pray that you would create an appetite in us that today says, I haven't got enough of him yet. I haven't been to see him enough yet. I haven't received enough of his glory. I haven't received enough of of his goodness yet. And so I need to go. I need to see him. I, I see the sign of my desperation. I see the sign of my hurt. I see the sign of my sin and my desperation for his presence. And so I need to do something about it. God, give us a new appetite for you. Before we fill up on anything else, God, give us a new appetite for you. And may this unleash something brand new in our worship, something brand new in what we're able to give, God. Thank you for transforming our minds. And thank you for refreshing us. Thank you for for what you poured out. Thank you for the gift that you brought. And Father, we just wanna give to you this morning. We wanna give to you with our lives. May our lives be living sacrifices, a pleasing aroma to you, God. May everything that we pour out bring you glory and represent you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for us. Amen. Thanks for joining today. It would be so awesome to see you at church this Sunday. If you'd like to know more about service times or simply want to find out more about church, head to our website, riveredgechurch.com.au.